Hey everyone, I'm David Chalian, the CNN political director. This is The Daily DC. After publicly stating he wanted to open the country up, President Trump changed course and yesterday announced his decision to extend federal social distancing guidelines until April 30th, a month from today. The better you do, the faster this whole nightmare will end. Therefore, we will be extending our guidelines to April 30th to slow the spread. That news comes as his top infectious disease doctor, Dr. Anthony Fauci, has spent the past two days preparing people for exactly how bad this could possibly get. I would not be surprised. I don't want to see it. I'd like to avoid it. But I wouldn't be surprised if we saw 100,000 deaths. Joining me now to help us understand the latest on the disease's spread and how you can stay safe in this time, CNN medical analyst and the host of not one but two podcasts, Epidemic and American Diagnosis, is Dr. Celine Gounder. Thank you so much for being here, doctor. Oh, happy to be here. I am sitting here in Manhattan in New York City. It's possible you may hear some sirens in the background as we chat here. So let's start with the president who just days ago had suggested Easter Sunday might be uh, the day that America would be raring to get back to work and and back to normal. I would love to have the country opened up and uh, just raring to go by Easter. Has now listened to Dr. Burks, Dr. Fauci, looking at various data points uh, over the weekend and saying quite clearly the federal social distancing guidelines that were initially set up as a 15-day time period that was coming to an end today uh, will now be extended until the end of April, April 30th. I guess my first question to you is, when? let's assume it doesn't get extended again. When something like this, this nationwide social distancing effort to flatten that curve and really uh, stop the spread gets lifted. Is it just all or nothing? Is that is that the way this works? Or is there some sort of middle ground that you can start uh, to alleviate it in certain pockets of the country, but not others? W- what do you think about what that looks like when the deadline comes? Right. Well, I mean, I think, first of all, these are man-made deadlines. And as Dr. Fauci has said multiple times, the virus is going to set the timetable, not us. You've got to be realistic And you've got to understand that you don't make the timeline. The virus makes the timeline. And so I think, you know, in saying 15 days and then another 15 days, if you go back in time, that was another thing Dr. Fauci had said was that we may need to keep reevaluating and prolonging or shortening, uh, you know, the duration of these measures based on what we see, how things evolve. Um, In terms of, you know, how do we decide when to lift some of these social restrictions, social distancing measures, there are a couple things we want to see happen. First, we want to see a peak and then decline in new infections and cases and and deaths. And so we have yet to see that. In fact, we're still at the very beginning of this. So it's not surprising this started in, you know, places like New York City, which is the biggest, densest city in the country, and then other cities on the West Coast like Seattle and San Francisco and Los Angeles, which have closer business and travel ties to uh, China and other parts of Asia. So that's not surprising. But what you're going to see now and what we're already seeing is that this is now 
affecting other cities in, say, the Midwest or the South, cities like Detroit, Chicago, New Orleans. And from there, you're going to see the virus spread to suburban and rural communities. I've heard, for example, that you're they're now seeing cases of coronavirus on the Navajo reservation in uh, New Mexico, which I can tell you is a, quite a rural place. So this is going to have to go, this is going to evolve in waves uh, from the densest, biggest cities all the way down to rural areas. And so that's going to take a little time to play out. But what we're hoping to see is that you're going to eventually see a peak and then decline. And then we want to achieve what we would describe as um, no longer having community, generalized community transmission. So right now, there's so much transmission happening in the community that we can't really trace how the infection is spreading from one person to another. And that, that's essentially what you need to be able to do when we do um, contact tracing, which is where you have person A is infected, they then infect persons B and C, then person C infects persons D and E. Right now, we cannot trace those chains. So until we get things suppressed enough to do that, it's going to be very difficult to lift these measures. So how should we interpret uh, what Governor Cuomo of New York said today it is briefing. There's also no doubt that the rate uh, has slowed. About the doubling rate of cases. We had a doubling of cases every two days, then a doubling every three days, then a doubling every four days, then every five. We now have a doubling of, of cases every six days. So while the overall number is going up, the rate of doubling is actually down. I take your point that we haven't seen the the peak of the infection rate yet, but he that would seem the kind of trajectory that would inform us that it is taking longer, I guess, to get that many cases to repeat itself, which would be a hopeful sign or, or no? I mean, that means we're heading in the right direction, um, you know, but that we haven't gotten to where we need to be yet. And I think one of the concerns I have in New York is uh, New York City itself is somewhat of a patchy pattern. Manhattan, for example, um, we really have achieved pretty good social distancing. But if you go out to the outer boroughs, uh, Queens, for example, where we heard about Elmhurst Hospital being overrun last week, um, you know, part of the challenge you have in the outer boroughs is these are the people who are our drivers, our delivery people, our nannies, our housekeepers, you know, and so forth. And these are people who really cannot telework. They can't um, stay home even if they wanted to because they need to have money to put food on the table and pay their rent. And we see this um, reflected in New York City's public transportation use patterns, where in Manhattan, it dropped off dramatically, but you still see lots of people using the subway and the buses in the outer boroughs. And and also, we're seeing you know similar kinds of issues in adjacent counties to New York City, Westchester, Bergen County. Um, and, and so I think what you're going to see is, again, it's going to go in waves where parts of New York City will get over this sooner and others it'll take longer. And then you're going to see this spread out to the suburbs and then eventually, you know, upstate New York. And that's one of the things that uh, Governor Cuomo has said is that right now, perhaps upstate New York needs to function as something of a relief valve, papa valve for what's happening in um, downstate with us here in New York. Um, and then eventually that situation may reverse in terms of, you know, where healthcare providers need to be focusing their efforts and, and helping uh, on the front lines. Yeah. Another 
I guess, relief valve, to use that term. Uh, we saw a hospital Navy ship arrive in New York City today, and I know they set up a temporary hospital uh, kind of structure in, in the Javits Center. And just again on New York, that's not to receive COVID patients, uh, but that's to, I think, alleviate what you described as a hospital being overrun, like in Elmhurst, with the non-COVID patients, that th- those facilities would take those uh, to be a bit of a relief valve so that all the rest of the New York hospital system uh, downstate in the city can handle the influx of COVID patients. Does that make sense to you as a as a way to organize uh, yourselves in the, in the hospital system in New York? Well, it makes a lot of sense because you really don't want to have people who do not have COVID-19 in the hospital with COVID-19 patients right now. And, and part of the reason that's really challenging is because we don't have the personal protective equipment to protect ourselves, but also to protect our patients, to prevent spread. And so it's one thing if you're functioning in an environment where everybody has COVID-19, which is what a lot of the hospitals look like right now because they've tried to clear out just about everyone else. Um, And so then it's really just focusing on protecting ourselves. And if everybody, you know, already has it, who's a patient, but, you know, we don't want to be getting people sick with coronavirus on top of what their other medical conditions might be. And so we do need a place to care for those patients, to send those patients. So talk to me a bit about the PPE, the protective equipment. Um, Obviously, this has been sort of a dire need that, uh, and this isn't just New York, we've seen governors and local officials uh, be, they've been banging the drum on this for for the better part of two weeks now, if not longer, to the federal government. Are you in your contacts and your sort of professional circle hearing that uh, more of this protective equipment is getting now out to where it's needed, or is it still sort of uh, a crisis level of need? Oh, gosh, it's still very much a crisis level. I mean, we, I think, was it Mayor de Blasio who said earlier this week that looking at supplies across the city, we have maybe a week or two of supplies left for the city. Um, and I could just say, you yeah, know, I having... Yeah, he said Sunday is the actual, like, deadline where there will not be enough anymore. Sunday, April 5th, we have enough supplies to get to a week from today, with the exception of ventilators. We're going to need at least several hundred more ventilators very quickly. You know, I was at Bellevue Hospital over a week ago, and we had already, at that point, had already pretty much run out of the N95 respirator masks. We were using um, surgical masks and face shields, and we were already at that time running low on those. And we were already running low on gowns, you know, at that time. So um, I have not yet seen much in the way of Um, new supplies coming in. Um, I have been working with, and it was actually sort of interesting, um, this guy who owns a small software company had seen me on CNN talking about the shortage of personal protective equipment, and he basically reallocated his entire staff to reaching out to folks more in sort of the industrial sector, commercial sector, not in healthcare, but folks who do use these N95 masks, um, you know, anything from automotive to manufacturing plastics, uh, you know, whole range of things. And they've been trying to drum up supplies from those sectors to send to New York City, you know. And so even with all of those kinds of extensive efforts, whether it's by private people like that or Governor Cuomo, it still takes time to get these supplies to the doctors and nurses in the hospital. Uh, And one of the things that we've seen reported on, you and I were discussing before we started recording the podcast, 
was some help from other countries, namely China, to try and fill this this need. But I guess we're learning that what they're sending over does not necessarily is not necessarily helpful working equipment at the standard that the U.S. needs and normally uses throughout the healthcare system? Well, and that's right. And I mean, this is where I actually am quite thankful. We do have our own Food and Drug Administration, you know, that's very careful about vetting some of these, some of these medical um, technologies. Um, what we have learned is that the test kits that have been um, sold or donated to countries like Spain or a number of African countries by the Chinese, these tests don't work. And so if they're not accurate, then you're making very important public health and medical decisions on the basis of inaccurate information. And that could really backfire and make the problem a lot worse. Um, the kits that have been donated by the Jack Ma Foundation are currently being evaluated, so we're not sure if those work. And we're certainly seeing issues with fake and 95 respirators, other personal protective equipment, thermal temperature guns, which we use to take people's temperature, as well as disinfectant. So, you know, we really do need to be attentive to the quality of supplies that we're getting and receiving um, and make sure that what we're getting is going to be useful and works. You know, so much of um, fear in the country that we see, uh, but there's also quite a bit of praise for frontline professionals like yourself, uh, doctors and nurses, uh, people working in the hospitals, in the emergency rooms. Um, and I just wonder, as you're talking to your colleagues, what is it like uh, for them, for you to to go into a hospital today and to work and, and do your job in an emergency room full of fear that you're not properly protected, but yet you know you have uh, this duty to fulfill? What is that like? I think there are a couple things. One, I, I think we would appreciate more honesty, um, whether it's from the government or from hospital leadership about the true risks. And the idea that, you know, the, the fact that we're being told, oh, this um, less than adequate personal protective equipment is actually just fine and will be protective, will be, will, will, will do the, do what it needs to do. When we know that's not true, when we know we've seen what others have used around the world, uh, when we've seen the data about how, um, COVID-19 is transmitted um, through both droplets and aerosol, as well as through fomites, so in other words, surfaces, when we're well aware of all of that, and then being told, oh, just a plain, regular surgical mask, um, perhaps not even with a face shield or gown or gloves, is going to be adequate to protect you. And hey, by the way, you're going to have to reuse it. We, it's it's quite clear that these guidelines, these the guidance is being driven by supply and rationing and not by science. And you know, which is also why the CDC on its website said, um, oh, and, and, you know, if you guys run out of some of the standard personal protective equipment that you need, you can try using uh, bandanas uh, and scarves. And, you know, clearly that's, <laughs> that's not the normal standard of care, whether it's to protect healthcare workers or, or to be protecting patients that we care for. So I think one, we would really appreciate some honesty here. Um, and then secondly, you know, I, I don't think people, uh, they don't, we, we don't like to be made to feel expendable. Um, and yes, we have very strong sense of, of duty, of professionalism. Um, you know, but if you think back to the 9-11 responders, these were folks who went um, to respond to help, even though they knew it was a dangerous situation. And, you know, I, I think 
what we really want to hear is, yes, this is a dangerous situation. This is the best we can do. This is what we're doing to try to make it a better situation, a safer situation for all of you. And we really appreciate everything you're doing. That's what we want to hear. Well, Dr. Gounder, I thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. Uh, I wish you and all of your colleagues uh, the best of luck as you continue to combat this. Thank you so much. Thank you. And a special thanks to our listeners as well. Remember, we publish a new episode every weeknight, so please subscribe on your favorite podcast app. While you're there, consider leaving a rating or a comment. It helps other people find the show. And if you want to tweet about the podcast, please do so. You can use the hashtag TheDailyDC. Stay safe, stay healthy. We'll see you tomorrow. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.